well. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, <clears throat> if you've been with us um, for the past few weeks, you know that we're doing a series on prayer. Um, well, we have been up till today. We're, we're going to have a little bit of a break today, and I t- I'll tell you why. Um, <clears throat> from time to time, I get invitations to go to different places to, to speak. And over the past year, particularly the, pl- the past eight months, I've turned down many invitations to come and preach and speak on Sundays and otherwise. And, um, and yet somebody, a, 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 friend of, a friend of ours, invited me to come and speak at the church. And it was, you know, one of those ones that you, can't, you find it really hard to turn down. You want to, <laughs> you know what I mean? But um, it's, it's like the, that friend that comes and visits you at midnight. You know what I mean? It's midnight, you know, but, but they're a friend. But it's midnight. <laughs> um, and so I felt like I couldn't really turn them down um, just in support and, you know what I mean, and love and commitment to, to my friend, innit? So um, I was expecting to prepare a message today on prayer and then a special separate message um, for them and thinking, yeah, I could, be, I could do two, you know what I'm saying? I'll I, I just try and keep both of them short. Um, I don't know what I was thinking, um, but I wasn't able to, to prepare or to, f- to fully prepare for our message today on prayer as well as this afternoon. So um, I'm going to this, 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 put our series on hold until next week. And we'll pick up prayer next week. But I'm going to share now the message that I'm going to be sharing a little bit later. And I don't know really what I'm going to do. The Lord's really going to have to help me because it's a Spanish-speaking church. So they have an interpreter. So they've asked me to prepare less than what I would should do because it's going to be possibly double the length with the interpretation. And so, boy, can only do what you can do, innit? Can't do no better. Well, I say can't do no better. Try and do better, but... So, um, today we're going to be, you know, anytime you kind of get opportunity to speak somewhere, what I try to do is if, if there's no given topic, I will always try to just talk about Jesus. You know what I mean? He's always, you know what I'm saying, the first topic that comes to mind and the most helpful, I would argue, especially when it comes to the Bible. <clears throat> so, um, today I'm going to do a message and, 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 and no great surprise, it's all about Jesus. And we're going to be looking at Leviticus 16. Now, if you turn there, you might remember about a year ago, I think I did communion one Sunday. And I shared a little bit, a little bit of what I'm going to be sharing today, um, probably in a little bit more specific and extended fashion. And so turn to Leviticus 16 with me. I'm going to be reading out of the NIV. Another thing I'm not going to have today is as many slides as I normally do. Again, time was against me. So there's, I've got a few slides, but most of the verses I will reference and I will read. You know what I'm saying? And, and we record this, the, the session, so you can always go back and, and listen, or you can take notes if you choose to. Um, but yeah, I'm not going to help you like I, used to, like I usually do. So the question I want to ask um, before we pray is, um, what's the big difference between the Old and the New Testament? You know what I'm saying? Some people find it a little bit confusing. You know what I mean? Or you, you say, well, it's simple. Like one is big and one is small. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You say one is old and one is newer. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, true. Um, but one of the things I like to do um, is, is, is think about the Old Testament, particularly in one way, and the New Testament in another. So if you think about the Old Testament as being promise, 
and I'm saying, I think about the New Testament as being fulfillment, then I think that goes a long way to help basically understand, you know what I'm saying, what the whole, test, whole Bible, Old and New Testament is about. Um, <clears throat> and if you like, in one sense, the promise is pointing in somewhere or to someone, we would argue. And the New Testament is the fulfillment, you know what I'm saying, or the revealing of that person that's been promised, you know what I'm saying. Um, some, you might have heard it said, um, there's a term in Latin, it's, it's um, novum, novum testamentum in vetere latet. You know I'm, saying? I'm not clever, I just memorized it, and I don't know a word of Latin apart from that. It's, it means the new is in the old concealed, and the old is in the new revealed. You know what I'm saying? And, um, <clears throat> and if you like, both of them eventually, fundamentally, land on who? Christ, Jesus. <clears throat> now, think about the Passover. Like, we want to talk about the Old Testament, you know what I'm saying, being revealed in the New Testament. Think about the Passover, and, and a, 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 a lamb is slain, and they take the blood of the lamb and they put it where? In the Passover. On the doorposts of the house, on the top, and the sides, you know what I'm saying, and if the blood's on the top, it's going to drip down onto the floor. Guess what you got the shape of? A cross. And they take that lamb, and if you get in the house behind the blood and trust, put your trust in, in God, you know what I'm saying, with, by virtue of the blood, how many of you know death doesn't affect you? Same way you put your trust in Jesus, you know what I'm saying, and his blood shed for you, death, essentially spiritual death, doesn't affect you, you know what I'm saying? And guess what the, 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 like, the doorposts of the house are made of? Wood, if you like, it speaks of the cross, doesn't it? Passover, Jesus is our Passover, 2 Corinthians 5 slain for us. You think about Genesis 22 and you've got, the, you've got Abraham and he's got to take his son and sacrifice him. And God says, take your son, the son that you love. And in one sense, his only son with Sarah. You know what I'm saying? Sound a bit like Gen um, John 3.16. You know what I'm saying? And I want you to take and sacrifice. And he takes the wood of the sacrifice and he puts it on Isaac's back. Isaac's got to walk up the hill with the wood on his back and, he's, and on the way up there, he's like, look, he's like, Dad, I see, the, I see the wood and I see the fire. I see the knife. <laughs> but where's the sacrifice? Well, son, you know what I'm saying? The wood is being carried by the sacrifice. It's you. You know what I'm saying? And he gets to the top and there's a, a, there's a, a ram caught in a thicket. And, um, and Abraham says, by virtue of, of God's word, son, obviously the angel stops him and, Isaac's not the sacrifice, but the scripture says that God will provide himself a sacrifice. And how many of you know, you know what I'm saying, thousands of years later, here comes God's son, the son that God loves, carrying wood on his back up the hill of Calvary, which is the same mountains of Moriah that Abraham takes his son up to sacrifice him. Same hills. Speaking of Jesus. Now, those are two. I think, good examples. Let's read um, Leviticus 16 together, and then we'll pray. I'm trying to argue that the whole, Bible, the whole Old Testament particularly is about Jesus, right? Um, verse 6, Leviticus 16. Where is it? And this is headline, the Day of Atonement, special day in the year. Aaron is to offer the bull of his, the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he's to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. 
He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat, two goats. Verse 9, Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering, but the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. And then you drop down to verse 23 of Leviticus 16. It says, then Aaron is to go into the tent of meeting, notice, and take off the linen garments that he put on before he entered the most holy place and he's to do what with them? He's to leave them there. It's on the screen if you haven't. Go ahead, let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that the Old Testament promises, they find their wonderful fulfillment in the Lord Jesus. Would you help us to see that today, I pray, for his name's sake. Amen. <clears throat> so I'd like to show you that these verses are speaking about Jesus in a sense. Promise pointing to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Now, if you don't believe me, listen to the words of Jesus himself. Right? This is Luke chapter 24. And this is on the road to Emmaus, right? When the two disciples don't realize that Jesus, yes, they realize he died, but they didn't realize that he came alive again because they didn't believe what he'd said previously. So he said to them as he's walking with them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets, notice, have spoken, if you like, in the past, right, about the future. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning where? With Moses... Moses is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They're the five books that Moses wrote, right? The Pentateuch. Beginning with the beginning of the Old Testament and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in, notice, all the scriptures concerning who? Himself. Who's speaking? Jesus. Drop down to verse 44. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. But obviously you, were, you, never, you never got it. Everything must be, notice, fulfilled. That is written about me, Jesus, in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Can you see that? Can you hear Jesus saying that the Old Testament is all about Jesus? <laughs> now, back to Leviticus 16, if you like. And I've got no more slides for you until we get to the end. Now, the scene in Leviticus 16 is the tabernacle, right? Which eventually will become, what? The temple. And it's the place where sacrifices are made in the Old Testament, right? This particular day is, is a very, very special day. It's called the Day of Atonement or the Day of at one where those who are separated from God are made at one with God. Atonement. And it happened only once every year. Now, the key human character is, is Aaron. He has a very senior position. He is the high priest, isn't he? And, um, and, and in Israel, there's always only ever one high priest. You know what I'm saying? You have Levites who can become priests. You know what I'm saying? You can't be a priest unless you're a Levite. But then in order for you to be a high priest, you had to be the son of a preceding high priest. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and there was only one at a time. And the problem is with the high priest, what happened to them? Regularly, thank you, the day died. So you had to keep on having new high priests. Interesting. In verse 6, Aaron has to make an offering for himself and his family. Right? Then in verse 7... <clears throat> We have, maybe I'll go back to, to the text, just so it's there for you, if you don't, if you don't have it. You see, I'm, see, I'm always trying to help, you know, sometimes they help, they don't help. <sighs> Stress. 
So verse, verse 6, he makes an offering for himself and his family. Verse 7, we have these two special types of sacrifice, right? In verse 8, they cast lots, a bit like spinning a coin, if you like, heads or tails, and I'm saying which one is going to be which. And they decide one is going to be the sin offering, the other is going to be the scapegoat. With the, first of all, let's look at the sin offering. This animal would be slaughtered in the outer court of the tabernacle. It would have its throat cut and it would bleed to death. And literally, there'd be blood everywhere. Especially with the priest wearing white garments. Like The blood is like everywhere you look. And if you, and if you know anything about blood, you know what I'm saying? Like When there's a lot of it, what do you smell? You smell iron. You know what I'm saying? So that smell of iron is in the air. And you know what I'm saying? There's blood everywhere. So blood sacrifice, this is, for the sins of the whole nation. It's a special sacrifice. Now, some of the blood would later be used in the temple, and we'll come to that. The second animal is what? It's the scapegoat. You ain't trying to help me today, it's all right. It's the scapegoat. And you, you know the word scapegoat means someone taking the place of somebody else, right? Like, and when someone gets in trouble, the scapegoat, the scapegoat takes the blame for someone else, doesn't it? Now, unlike the first animal, this one isn't killed. The high priest would lay his hands on the scapegoat and he would confess the sins of the nation on the scapegoat. And if you think about it, the, the, the sins would be transmitted, you know what I'm saying, to the animal. It's a bit like when you're tapping in through London Bridge. You take out your oyster and you tap in and something is transferred, money from your account, you know what I'm saying, or your oyster into that that, that machine, you understand the, 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 the analogy? You know I'm saying? That, he, that the sins of the nation would be transferred onto this animal. And this animal would then be what? It would be released into the wilderness, carrying the sins of the people away, never to be seen, you know what I'm saying, again. Take away the sins of the people. <clears throat> now, let's walk through the temple, or the tabernacle, I should say, at this time, which will become the temple, right? Do you know another name for the tabernacle? I guess I gave you one. The temple, it will become. But what, what's another name for the tabernacle, literally in Exodus? Thank you. The tent of meeting. Why? Because it's the place where God's people would come and meet with God. It's the place to meet with God, the tabernacle. And, 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 and it's funny because specifically it's the place where sinful people have the opportunity to meet with God. Now, that tabernacle was in the first of three compartments in the temple, the outer court, the biggest of the, the three compartments. And <clears throat> outside in the outer, which is literally outdoors, um, you, have, you have two big bits of furniture. You have the, br the brazen laver or the bronze laver, right? And then you have um, the brazen Sorry, you have the brazen altar and you have the brazen laver, you know what I'm saying? And the first thing pretty much you see when you step into the outer court of the, of the tabernacle is this big, massive bronze altar. It's, it's like a big barbecue, if you like. Um, but there was no fun and joke around this barbecue. <laughs> it's where the sacrifices that were slaughtered were burnt. And then... And then Next to that, again, in the outer court, you had the, br the brazen or the bronze laver. It was like a big basin filled with water. 
And it's the place where the priest, once they've offered the sacrifices, would go over and wash the blood off. It was a place of cleansing was the, the brazen laver. And the priest would have to wash there before they, they moved on to the, the second compartment, which is called a what? The holy place. Thank you, Mr. Carnegie. The holy place. This is the second compartment. And in this second compartment, only the priests went. And it's in here. Do you remember when Zachariah, John the Baptist's dad, was in there doing his priestly duties? He was in that second part compartment where the angel appeared, where the angel appeared to him. And he was terrified, and I'm not surprised. Um, you'll see why in a minute. Um, because... <clears throat> Um, yeah, he would have been the only person in there, terrifying experience, but an, ama an amazing experience at that, at that. So they'd offer up the offerings on the altar, wash in the brazen laver, and then in order to go into this, this second compartment, once you'd, got, you'd have to go up some, well, in the temple you'd have to go up some stairs, but this second compartment was, was although it was within the, 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 the remit of the tabernacle, it was separate and distinct. And they would go in there. And when you went into the tabernacle, there was more furniture and some other bits and pieces. On your right-hand side was the table of what they called showbread. And they had, they had two sets of six loaves, 12 loaves, and they had to replenish those loaves daily. It had to be fresh bread. And then turn around behind you, there was the golden lampstand called the menorah. You know, have you ever seen the seven-pronged um, lampstand? beaten from one whole piece of gold. And, <clears throat> and the lampstand was, was significant in there because it was the only bit of furniture that provided light in the tabernacle because there were no windows. That's why I said for Zachariah, it must have been quite scary being in there, you know what I'm saying, with kind of lamp light and, kind of, and then all of a sudden this glorious angel appears to you. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's another story for another day, isn't it? The lampstand that provided light in the tabernacle and had to continually be replenished by the priest. This was his job while he was in there. What was he doing? This is part of his job. And it had to continually burn perpetually. Now, table of showbread on your right, golden lampstand on your left. What's in front of you? It was the altar of incense. The altar of incense. And... It's kind of like a small podium, maybe a little bit like this podium that I'm using this morning, this afternoon even. And on this podium, on this altar, this special mix of incense was made and placed on the altar and burned. And the, the, the coals that were used on the altar of incense had to be only taken from the altar outside in the outer court. And they'd bring those coals in and they'd put them on top of here on, on the altar of incense. And then they'd burn the incense and it would go up as a sweet smelling savor unto the Lord. You know, them, you ever seen them long sticks that you can buy with the guys, um, the often Muslim guys on the road selling these long sticks and you burn them. And you see the smoke wafting up. That's, it was a little bit like that. In scripture, incense is often associated with prayer. David said in Psalm 141 verse 2, May my prayer be set before you, Lord, like incense. Revelation chapter 5, at the, end, the back end of the Bible, 
Um, in his vision of heaven, John saw the elders around the throne, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints or the prayers of God's people in the heavenly tabernacle. Wow. Now, what was in front of the altar of incense? As you got your back to the crowd, you got your back to the door, what was in f- just as you stand in front of the altar of incense, what's in front of you? Well, there was another compartment, but in front of that compartment, there was a big veil that ran from floor to ceiling. The veil. It was a thick curtain that separated these last two sections of the tabernacle or the temple. And now we come to that third compartment, which is the smallest compartment, because it goes from big to small. The smallest compartment where we find which piece of furniture? The Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was a box. And it was made of wood, and it was covered with gold on the outside. Inside, there were the two tablets of stone that Moses, you know what I'm saying, originally broke, that God wrote on, remember? And also, what, was, what else was in the box? Aaron's rod. You look, you've got to get in there quick. Aaron's rod that budded. It, it was a piece of, like, branch, and it perpetually, you know what I'm saying, had le- green leaves on it, and, and, if, and maybe even fruit. You know what I'm saying? It was live, although it had been cut from a tree, you know what I'm saying? Moses' rod. Now, on top of this box, that's inside, on the top of the box is what was called the mercy seat. And if you've ever seen pictures or depictions of the tabern- of the, of the Ark of the Covenant, what's on the top on the mercy seat? Two angels. And they're both sitting on the box, facing each other with the their wings stretch forward and touching one another. Sorry, I would have had pictures and I would have showed you, but that would have eaten up more of my time anyway. Preparing and delivering. Um, <clears throat> and, 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 and once a year, and, and, and I want you to note the fact that these two angels are sitting on, on this gold box, you know what I'm saying, at either end of the mercy seat. Now on top um, well, I should say, once a year, um, do you remember I, t- I spoke about the first animal being slain and, and it's shedding its blood, and, 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 and its blood would be taken into the temple? Well, it's into this compartment, the high priest, the great high the high priest would come in with the blood, and he'd pour the blood of that animal sacrifice on the mercy seat to what? To atone for the sins of the nation. This was all a part of this rich ritual that God gave to his people. And the blood on the mercy seat would atone or forgive the sins of the people, bringing them together with God in spite of the fact that they were sinners. Now, how are these ten things that are described in the Old Testament promising or pointing to something in the New Testament? How are these ten things symbolically fulfilled later in Christ? How how, how do these... Ten things point us to Jesus. Well, first of all, the sin offering. How many of you know Jesus is the ultimate sin offering? John chapter 1, verse 29 says, The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said what? He said, Behold, King James, look, the Lamb of God 
who takes away the sins of Israel. Can you see the upgrade? And I'm saying it's similar, but Jesus is the upgrade on that animal sacrifice that we just spoke about. The sin offering, the first of the two animals. How many of you know Jesus was slaughtered outside the city at Golgotha? At the crucifixion, I mean, to say that there was blood everywhere would be an understatement. Jesus actually started bleeding prior to that. Not just at the scourging, which I find hard to watch when I watch the Passion of the Christ. But then before that, Jesus was bleeding. Remember in the garden? Great drops of blood. I'm talking like, when it comes to this lamb, how many of you know it's like blood everywhere? Remind you of the tabernacle? Think about, the, think about Jesus on the cross. I mean, I, I wonder how he had any blood left in his body. Blood, I mean, a trail of blood. You know what I'm saying? In his wake. Blood everywhere. Can you see how this offering in the Old Testament was supposed to be a very powerful picture, a very powerful image, and it's something that happened every year in, year out. I went to Tunisia, and I was driving around. My brother was driving me around because he lives in Tunisia. And as we're driving around, it was Eid. And he was like, Rob, look. And look over there. And I look over there. And everywhere I looked, you saw pens of sheep getting ready. Guess what? To be sacrificed. And that's a good question to ask any Muslim as you're engaging and having a chat with them about religion. And I'm saying, ask them, why? Why the sheep? Why the sacrifices every single year? It's a good talking point. It's better to look at the things that we agree on, that is Christianity and Islam. It's much better platform from which to have a conversation. You know what I'm saying? Because there's much of what they have that, that relates to the Bible quite directly. You know what I'm saying? It's a good plate. We learn that at LCM. Don't go straight in hard with the, with the con complicated, contradictory. You don't, you're, not, you're never going to get nowhere. You know what I'm saying? That's a good place to start. Genesis 22, the story I told about Abraham incredible place to start a conversation because they believe that they agree with you on that the problem is when you get to the sacrifice what's the deal with the sacrifice and then you show that it points to jesus you know what i mean where was i blood everywhere blood sacrifice not just for the sins of israel but now for the whole world Jesus. And whereas the Old Testament sin offering again was killed every year, Jesus was only, I mean, if you know, Jesus don't get killed every year. Once. For all. Amen. First John 2 verse 2 says, my little children, says John, I'm writing these things to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, I'm so glad for that parenthesis. So glad for that but. He says, don't sin. I'm like, amen. But if you do, because you know that we will. And I'm saying, he says, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. We're unrighteous, but he's the righteous one. He himself, no, is the atoning sacrifice. Day of atonement, at one moment. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Upgrade to Jesus. Don't trust in old religion that can't help and can't save. 
Now the second scapegoat, that's the first scapegoat. The second, that's the first animal sacrifice. The second is a scapegoat. Let's come back to the scapegoat. <clears throat> and let's walk again back through the tabernacle, you know what I'm saying, through the temple, through the tent of meeting, um, showing how it points to Jesus. This place where sinful people get to meet, notice, with God. It's about Jesus. John chapter 1 says, notice, the word, verse 14, the word became what? Flesh and did what? The word is tabernacled among us. It's the exact same word transliterated into Greek and into English. You know what I'm saying? Dwelling place. Remember Jesus says, I got a way to prepare a place for you. You know what I'm saying? It's talking about somewhere to live, somewhere to dwell, somewhere that's... And Jesus is, if you like, <clears throat> the new tabernacle. Do you remember in John chapter 2, when Jesus trashed the temple? He didn't lick anybody. He never, he never licked down anybody. But he, he, he made whips and, and hit the animals and turned over the tables. Remember that in John 2. And they, they want to question him, who gives you the authority to do this? And Jesus answered them, destroy what? This temple, and, in, and, and I will raise it again in three days. And rightly, in response to his statement, they say, we we chat about it's taken 46 years to build this temple, this tabernacle, this place where we come and meet with God. And you're going you're gonna to destroy it and raise it in three days. I mean, not even um, Barrett can build a temple in three days. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No, verse 21, the parenthesis, John adds something that Jesus doesn't say to them. And John says, but the temple he spoke of was his body. Jesus weren't talking about that physical temple. He was talking about the temple, which was his body, or, if you like, the place where people will now meet with God. If you want to meet with God, guess what? Don't go to the temple, the physical temple. I mean, it got destroyed anyway, right? And they want to rebuild the temple, you know? got all the sacrifices, they're breeding the red heifer, you know what I'm saying, they've got all the implements, all, everything I just described in the tabernacle, they got them, I don't think they have the Ark of the Covenant, but it's not going to be hard to reconstruct that, so they can re-inaugurate the temple, when Jesus done told them 2,000 years ago, I'm the new temple, you want to meet with God? Go to Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way. You want to get to God, you want to meet with God? I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No man comes to the Father except he goes through the gates of the tabernacle. No, unless he comes through me. I'm the, you know, when I understood that, wow, that changed my, about, about 15 years ago, that changed my understanding of the, that changed my understanding of church, quote unquote. Because often you feel like church is the building. Oh, it's special. You know, like, you know, like when you're, when you're young, yeah, and you're sinning. Like you do your sinning outside, but you know when you go and come to church, it's a different thing, you know. When you step in the building, it's like, oh. Not only have you got to put on your Sunday dress, your Sunday best, but you know, you've got to put, everything, everything changes when you walk through the door. No, no, no chewing chewing gum, even. You know, <laughs> it's like, why? Because the, the, the building ain't safe. The building ain't special. Where's St. Mark's? Oh, go down the road, turn left, and it's on your right. Yeah, that's, that's the building. That's not the church. The church is the people. What makes this building special, apart from the tenants upstairs, obviously they're special, but 
know what I'm saying? Holla, anyone who's a tenant in the building. Um, but what makes the building special and sacred is because God's people are here. The church is in the building. You pass the ear at carnival. The church has left the building. We're out here, not in your gate, you know. <laughs> Jesus is the new temple. Can't get to God unless you go through him. So that's the first compartment, the outer, the outer court, right? <clears throat> you've got the Levites and you've got the priests out there. I want to say that Jesus is the ultimate priest. So he's not just a priest or even a high priest. What is Jesus? Who is Jesus? He's our great high. Thank you, brother. He's our great high priest. It's like, again, upgrade. Next level. Hebrews 2 says, for this reason, he had to be made like them, human, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. If you don't know your Old Testament, you ain't fully going to get the flavor of the New Testament. Especially Hebrews. Boy. Not even after the, the, the order of Aaron, you know. But Jesus is the next type of high priest. Who, which order is Jesus after? Melchizedek, a greater high priest, even than Aaron. You see Hebrews chapter 4, 5, and 8 to reference that. Okay, so Jesus is the new temple. Jesus is the new high priest, the great high priest. How about the, the other items in the temple? You've got the bronze altar, right? We talked about that in the outer court. Um, he's the ultimate burnt offering. You know what I'm saying? It's like, this is, this is one of the most amazing pictures of the cross and Christ's suffering. Hebrews 10 says, verse eight, it's not that verse 8. First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them in a complete sense. Though they were offered in accordance with the law, it's what God determined, Verse 9, then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first in order to establish the second. Old, New Testament. Old covenant, new covenant. Verse 10, and by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. How about the bronze laver, the basin? Well, Jesus fulfills... The purpose of the basin. He, I mean, even though he's the ultimate cleanser from, from sin and dirt, the dirt of living in this world. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, The Son, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. No, after he had provided purification, cleansing, for sins. Then he, Jesus, sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Like Jesus come, done the job perfectly. And when he finished, took a seat next to the father. Back where he originally was seated. Jesus, our propitiation, our purification. Well, I thought you said 10 minutes to go, bro, I was going to say, you need to fix your watch. Hope you're not using an iWatch. Apple, you know, can't trust them. Can't trust them. Says Robert, says he. The bronze laver, can you see how that's a picture of Jesus? In Ephesians, you might have read where it says, 
um, God's people, depicted as a bride in Ephesians, are, are what? They're washed by the washing of the water of the word of God. You know what I'm saying? How many of you know Jesus is the word of God? It might be a stretch, that one. I don't know. <laughs> but it's through Jesus we're cleansed. That's undeniable. Picture of the brazen labor. How about the... All right, so we walk out of the outer court, now in, back into the holy place. Table of showbread on your right. Jesus is the ultimate bread that gives life. Come on. Not just naturally, you know, spiritually. And that daily, because it had to be fresh. Jesus, always fresh. John 6 says, then Jesus declared, I am, it's one of the I am statements, right? I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Jesus, always fresh, always providing, always nourishing the bread of life. Never go stale or mildew, you know. In Matthew 4, verse 4, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. That, that bread is all right. And how many of you know bread is good? You know, as we've been doing this series on prayer, I've been enjoying things in prayer and at the same time enjoying the items, whatever they might be, whether it's my family, my home, my car, you know what I'm saying, um, my, 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 my wife, or my food. Every time I eat food, now I'm like, Phew. I'll take a minute. Sometimes I'll, it's on the table, I'll just get up and walk around. I'm like, I'm like Lord, you're so good. Honest. This, this little series and prayer has really been affecting. It's been helping me in my prayer life. You know what I'm saying? And I was so blessed because a couple of people hollered at me, you know what I'm saying, over the past week specifically. And I was actually blown away because more often than not, when I'm here teaching or preaching, like you guys look kind of... You look like... I don't want to say you look dead, but you look, you look like you're, you're listening, isn't it? But sometimes... Sometimes you can't tell how much is going in or if people are really feeling it or if people are like, you know what? Like, you looking at us thinking, we're dead. Robert, you're dead. You know what I'm saying? I don't know what you're thinking. You know what I mean? But it was a blessing when a couple people were like, and somebody who doesn't even attend our church but visited, you know what I'm saying? I saw them in the week and they were like, boy, Rob, you know, I visited blah, blah, blah a couple weeks back and you were talking about prayer. And they said, since that time, they've been logging on to, the, to the, um, the podcast and listening to the podcast and they said how much it's been blessing them. And you know, um, I don't, you, don't, you, don't want, you don't need to hear that every week, but it's a blessing sometimes when you hear that because it makes you feel like, okay, boom. Well, if you're encouraged, then thank the Lord. I'm encouraged. That I'm not wasting my time. You know what I mean? And, um, and, and it just goes to point to the fact that God's word is good. You know what I mean? Even if someone was to say, oh, that was great. It's not that I'm great. You know the story of the donkey in Jerusalem? And when Jesus was riding on the donkey at Passover, um, was it Passover? When he came out and they were all like throwing palm branches down and all, you know, um, talking about the son of David. And now, now how, stu how stupid it would have been for the donkey to be looking at them people and saying, whoa, look at all these people cheering for me. You know what I'm saying? Clapping for me. Throwing down palm branches for me. No, you're a donkey. It's Jesus they're cheering for. So I'm not under any illusions. You know what I'm saying? It's like, Thank God that he's using his word and he's using broken vessels. And I'm saying donkeys like you and me, you know what I'm saying, in order to communicate his life-giving word. Um, we're just kind of... <clears throat> um, but his word gives life. And I mean like bread, but it's more than bread. Okay, so that's the table of showbread. Then you've got the lampstand, the golden lampstand. Seven prongs, right? How many of you know Jesus, not the, not the light or the lamp, 
Jesus is the ultimate light of the world. Not just the temple, you know, light of the world. The lampstand provides light inside a very dark room. John 8 says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I, another I am statement, I am the light of the world. You know what I'm saying? Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And there was too many verses about Jesus being a light. I never had, we ain't got time. You know what I mean? How about, how about, how about now the altar of incense? Remember, small podium, right? Well, <clears throat> the altar of incense in the holy place was a type of Christ's mediation on our behalf. It talks about prayer. I mean, you know, I mean, and I said, well, I could have maybe got away and said, oh, we're still talking about prayer, you know, <laughs> and argued that, you know what I'm saying, right here we see Jesus praying, you know what I'm saying, the ultimate mediator with the ultimate prayer life, you know what I'm saying, that was when he was alive and, and continued, you know what I'm saying, when he left, because Jesus, um, there is only one mediator between God and man, and it's the man, Christ Jesus, who constantly makes intercession for us. You see how this all points wonderfully, beautifully to Jesus, and Jesus' Jesus's intercession on our behalf is a sweet-smelling savour to God. How about the veil? Hmm. Thick curtain, remember? Hebrews 10 says, therefore, brothers and sisters, if you like, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, how? By the blood of Jesus. You're like, really? Yeah. Like, we can now enter in behind the veil. Really? Where only the great, only the high priest could go, and not any time and any time, once a year only. Yeah. We get, with confidence to enter, we can. The most holy place. How? By the blood of Jesus. Verse 20. By the new and living way opened for us through, notice, the curtain of his body. Hebrews 10 verse 20 says. The curtain of his body. It's through him we get to go in to what is the presence of God. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Can you hear the references back to the tabernacle? When Jesus died, what happened to the veil? It was literally torn in two from top to, top to bottom. It was like God himself tore the veil. And we see that also being a picture of the wrath of God on Christ. And I'm saying God's judgment on Jesus and his flesh. Talk about being torn to shreds. And I'm saying, but that was the, that it was through him experiencing that for us. It was similar to the, the, the there was a tearing of that veil that was probably a few inches thick, torn in order that we could go in, behind the veil, into the most holy place, the holy of holies, which is the last compartment where the Ark of the Covenant is. Now, the Ark undoubtedly spoke about God being present with his people. Remember, it's the tent of meeting. And it's argued that just above the Ark of the Covenant was what? The Shekinah presence of God. I mean, it would have been a terrifying thing to go round, round about there. You know what I'm saying? Improperly. 
Because you would literally, you would die. Literally. Because God was there. And if you never went through the proper means, it's argued that they used to tie a rope around the high priest's leg. So when he went in there, you know what I'm saying? If he went in and he made it out, man's would be like, phew, well done. Praise God. You know what I'm saying? Hallelujah to Jehovah. But if he never made it out, who's going in to go get him? You better, you better drag that dead body out of there, brother. You know what I mean? With that rope. So right behind this veil was the Ark of the Covenant, speaking about the presence of God. How many of you know Jesus is the manifest presence of God? Or, you know what I'm saying, historically speaking. Matthew chapter 1. We, it's, can you believe it's coming up to Christmas already? Mad thing. We're going to come back to this. The virgin, verse 23, Matthew 1, will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him, what? Not the Emmanuel at the back. Is it Emmanuel with an E? This is Emmanuel with an I. You know what I'm saying? And this Emmanuel means God with us. Can you see Jesus? Wow. Now, <clears throat> think about the ark. Because I've got to wrap up now. On top, I said, was the mercy seat, right? And I said, what did you have on top of the mercy seat? Two angels with their wings touching, sitting on, on the mercy seat. Now, And then also there was this blood poured out on top of the seat, right? Did you know, verse 23, when we read it, I'll just read it again. Then Aaron is to go into the tent of meeting and take off the linen garments that he put on before he entered the most holy place, and he's to leave them there. What a funny verse. <clears throat> Folded garments. Sounds strange and mysterious. Remember I said we'd come back to the scapegoat. The second selected animal. Unlike the first animal, this one isn't killed, right? It gets imputed with sin and then released into the wilderness, carrying the sins of the people away. Do you remember um, <clears throat> Jesus is the first animal slain, but Jesus is also depicted by the second animal released. Just after the crucifixion, when Jesus died and everyone was forlorn, thinking, oh, it's over. Listen to, listen to John 20. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, that's John, who's writing, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they put him. Like, where's the sacrifice? He's gone. He's disappeared. The sacrifice. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In the Old Testament, if you like, the sacrifice was an animal. How many of you know in the New Testament? We're trying to help us to understand the differences. In the New Testament, it's not an animal. It's a human sacrifice, isn't it? Now, also in the tomb, if you keep reading, it says, So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb after hearing this news. Of course they would. Both were now running. But the other disciple outran Peter. I don't know. Maybe Peter needed to do some intermittent fasting or something. He was overweight. I don't know. But John may be younger, probably. You know what I'm saying? And reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen. At the what? The strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there. 
verse 7, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head, the cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Guess what we're going to find as you read on in John chapter 20. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. Two angels. Now, I don't know, and I can't prove it, but remember, they laid the bloody body of Jesus in that tomb. They'd come to wrap the, the body, remember? You know what I'm saying? Now, I suspect Nicodemus and who's the other brother? Joseph of Arimathea had done something to the body, but it could be that in this place, on this seat, not only was two angels, just like in the tabernacle, but there possibly was blood, like there was on the mercy seat. Just like on the Ark of the Covenant. And where's, and where's the sacrifice? Where's the, where's the scapegoat? Gone. Gone. He's taken away the sins of the world. And one of the Psalms, can't remember which one it is. Maybe someone can help me. It says, and so far has God separated us from our sin. Where? As, thank you, sister. Thank you, Linda. As far as the east is from the west. I'm so glad he never said from the north to the south. Because if you leave the North Pole, you can get to a place called the South Pole and stand there. But how many of you know, like, try find east and try find west. If you want to find west, you go east, and you keep going east, and you never get to west. You want to find west, you go west, and you go, and you, you never get there. That's how, you can't, where's the sin gone? Where's your sin gone in, in Christ? Can't find it. Scapegoat's taken it away. Gone. The only thing left in the tomb, just like in Leviticus 16, was the folded garments of the high priest. Old Testament promise, New Testament fulfillment. Not sure if I've convinced you, but let's pray. The whole Bible is about Jesus. Father, thank you for your word and the fact that in so many ways, so many ways, it ultimately, eventually, perpetually points to the Lord Jesus. Thank you that the whole of the Bible, the Old and the New Testament, is all about Jesus. And for that, we give you thanks in his name. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.